0: So just finished our show with Jeremy Perlman, the vice president at CBiz Borden and Perlman. Had a really good discussion with Jeremy. First show without my partner in crime, Dean Gemmel, but I think we had a really good conversation. We talked about a really interesting story about how they were able to help a company during the pandemic. So if you're curious to hear about that and hear a little bit about Jeremy's story, you're going to enjoy the show. Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Enlightened Agent, podcast that brings you conversations with top insurance professionals and industry leaders. My name is Jason Keck, and I'm joined today by Jeremy Perlman, Vice President at CBiz Borden Perlman. Jeremy, welcome to the Enlightened Agent.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here.
0: Excited to have you here. Look, you and I have known each other for a few years now, and even had the opportunity to hang out socially in New York and Las Vegas, stories of which I won't share here on the podcast, but for the sake of our listeners, can you tell them, you know, who's Jeremy Perlman and, and what do you do today?
1: Absolutely. Well, I am, I'm a pretty new father. So I have a 10 month old son and I'm a husband and I am a, like you said, vice president at Sebas board in Perlman, but I, my role would be most accurately described in our industry as a producer. It. It's a word that I really don't like because <laughs> people have no idea what that means. You know, it, it sounds like you work in the creative like movie industry or TV industry which couldn't really be further from the truth. <laughs> or it just sounds like producer when you think about it like I'm just, you know, focused totally on sales and bringing in new business which sounds kind of sleazy and I think insurance people already kind of get that that moniker or the assumption that you are that just because of the way that people unfairly. think about insurance unfairly. Yes, absolutely. I mean, look, there's sleazy <laughs> scummy people in every industry, but I, I do think that if you look at like the rankings of, you know, w- where people view different industries, insurance falls very close to the bottom of the list. Got it.
0: Okay. And so what we'll maybe help, help our audience understand, you know, for those who don't know what a producer is or who may be new to insurance, like beyond being a salesperson, uh, what's involved, at least for you? I'm sure it's different across different agencies. But what's what does it mean for you to be a producer at at Borden Perlman?
1: Yeah, so I think it. I can liken it to other industries where people may have more familiarity. If you think of your like a financial advisor, right? Yep. So that person is responsible for taking care of their clients and also growing their business and bringing in new clients and creating new relationships and. Ultimately, that's all centered on helping people solve problems and deal with certain aspects of their life or their business that really matter to them where, you know, they need to pay a professional to do some work for them that they're not really able to do themselves. So that's what we do with our clients from an insurance and risk management standpoint.
0: Got it. And how long have you been doing that now?
1: Coming up on seven years. Okay. So I joined Borden Perlman back in 2014 on a full-time basis, but I... Uh, was the fourth generation of my family in the business. So I, I've sort of been around the oh, insurance wow. industry since I was a little kid and talking about insurance at the dinner table and hearing my dad and grandfather talk about it with each other. And so it's it's really always been a, a part of my life. But in terms of you know, how I pay my bills, that started in 2014.
0: Very cool. Fantastic. Yeah, there's a lot of um, a lot of other uh, multi-generation insurance agencies out there. And it's amazing, I'm sure, how much you pick up at the at the dinner table or uh, in casual car rides or otherwise about what happens and then you show up on the job and all of a sudden, you know a lot more about this than you thought you did. And, and you know, here you are seven years in as a vice president and, and probably kicking ass in the business. So, you know, seven years is a long time in any role. I suspect you enjoy uh, at least parts of it, but what, what are some of the things you love about what you do?
1: I think the thing that I love the most is, becoming that trusted partner for our clients. So I, I really focus on working with middle market businesses, privately held companies, I'd say that are between a hundred and a thousand employees yeah. and really becoming one of those people that they go to when they need to make critical decisions about how to operate and grow their business. You know, I mean, that's, that to me is the most interesting part when, uh, you know, I, We'll probably talk about this at some point, but a few several months ago, we went through a merger with a much larger company, Cbiz, so which is why we're now Cbiz Borden Perlman. But before that, I was a part owner of Borden Perlman, so I was a part of the critical decisions that we were making. And right. so to then be a part of those discussions with my clients about their businesses, I found totally fascinating because I could draw on the experiences that I had running our own business, making decisions about personnel, about health insurance benefits, about all different things but then in in different industries with our clients. So that was, I think that's the most exciting part. It's also the hardest thing to do because typically people view insurance as a commodity and not as something where you're their partner.
0: Yeah, I was just, I was thinking about that. I, I don't think, you know, of all the things that people think about with respect to insurance agents, you know, you think about somebody who's knowledgeable about insurance, who's helping you get coverage for your business. I don't think a lot of people say, yeah, I go to my, my agent or my producer or my manager for advice on my business, but I bet a lot of them actually do, right? It's like, this is a person who's uh, experienced, senior, and intelligent, and they're also not necessarily in my business, right? So if I, if I were looking for some advice from another intelligent person who I trust, right? Because you know, most people do trust their agents then I could see why an agent would be, you know, would be someone you go to, because to your point, this is what you do for your business. And also you you do this for a lot of other businesses. So I think that's an interesting an interesting role that I don't think people associate with agents. So very cool.
1: Yeah. The other beautiful thing for our clients about it is that we typically don't charge by the hour, whereas most of their <laughs> other quote unquote trusted advisors charge by the hour. So sometimes, you know, yeah. I, I really I, we joke internally like, wow, if only we charged by the hour, uh, things would be a lot different. But, but, it, but it's good, though, because then our clients don't, they feel like they can call us, right? That yep. they can actually spend the time on the phone with us and we're not on the clock.
0: Yep. Yeah, I guess there's a, um, there's a layer that I discovered early in my time in insurance around risk management, which is sort of often paid for as a consulting service. And I think there's businesses who, you know, need risk managers and and whether they're internal or external, that's that's like a real thing, right? As you get to a certain size, like there's risk to be managed. And then it sounds like in the middle market where you where you operate, you know, you play a little bit of that role for your for your clients. Is that correct or accurate? Or do you do you work with external risk managers in, in what you do?
1: Our target market and most of our clients are at the size just below where you would have in-house risk manager. Got it. A couple, like a handful of our clients have some, like a a chief legal officer or someone else that's really responsible for risk management, or it could be a safety manager if they have a warehouse type of operation, but typically they don't have someone full-time on staff that's their risk manager. And we've built our team around that. So for example, we have a claims department and a senior director of claims. We have a director of loss control who spent his whole career in the safety and loss control industry. So we can, we wear those different hats for our clients so that they don't have to have an internal person do it.
0: Got it. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, great. Look, that sounds like you're saving them some money. So hopefully they're being appreciated. So one of the things try to do on the podcast is, is, is bring out the stories of the people that we, that we talk to and that are on the show. And so I like to hear a lot about not necessarily how you get into insurance. I feel like that's a cliche, right? How did you get into insurance? And yes, everybody has a story there, but I I like to hear about the events that have really made up people's careers. So curious, you know, what one or some of those events might've been, you know, you said you started seven years ago. What, were there, were there any aha moments or significant events that really kind of changed the direction of the progression of your career?
1: I think so. And I wouldn't say it's like a specific day or a story, but but something that really clicked at at a certain point was when I had the confidence to say no to 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 suspects or prospective clients that were calling us and and wanted to you know to potentially use our services or or buy insurance from us because, like I said, we don't charge by the hour, so right. the my time is valuable because there's always that opportunity cost, right? If I'm spending the time talking to this person that's probably never going to buy from us and is just looking to lower their costs, then that's time I can't spend doing something else, which may ultimately drive greater economic returns in the future. Yep. But people will always want your time and more of it than you may want to give them. So yep. having that, that confidence in myself to, and that, that d- valuing myself to the point to say, look, I'm, I'm sorry, this isn't a good fit. This isn't the right
0: yeah um, partner not the, for you, right. I'm not the person who's going to help you in this. so
1: and just, and sometimes, right, and honestly educating people about why it's not sure. a good fit. And I've gotten yelled at a few times.
0: <laughs> yeah, but you don't want to be a jerk and and you know, you have to do it in a polite way, right? You have to let people down. and you have to to your point, you have to educate them. A lot of people, you know, insurance isn't their their first love, right? And so they don't understand it all
1: absolutely. and and I think that. Most of the time we're talking to business owners, whether they own a, a pizza shop or a small nonprofit or a huge business, we are, we're typically talking with the decision maker as the business owner. So if I can have that discussion with them about why it doesn't make economic sense for us to do business together, no. they're usually pretty understanding because if I can turn it around in some way to say, you know, if, look, if I came into your pizza shop and stood there for 30 minutes asking you to taste all the different slices, you know, and then asking you about where you got the ingredients from, like you would just kick me out. You'd say it's not worth the $2 of a slice that you might buy at this point. Just get out.
0: It reminds me of taking my kids to the ice cream shop and all the different tastes they wanted. Baskin Robbins. Yeah. Try that one. Can I try that uh-huh. one. Can I try that one. And then they buy a kitty scoop. For, for $1. Exactly.
1: exactly. <laughs> yeah. And thankfully, usually the people, you know, at a Baskin Robbins, the person that's standing there doesn't give a rip, whether you, you know, buy 30 quarts of ice cream or one kitty cup, they probably want you to buy one kitty cup because they don't have to stand there scooping the ice cream for 30 (laughs) minutes.
0: Right. But the business owners, right. They're sitting there, you know, Hey, you know, there's other, there's other work to be done here and you're, you're digging into my ice cream. So
1: hundred percent.
0: Yep. No, I get it. That's a, how far along in your journey were you when, do you you remember where that was?
1: I'd say it was probably a three years or so into it. We hired an executive vice president, I think it was in 2017. So that was about three years into my career here. And that, his, him coming on board with his prior experience, working on larger accounts in a very different way than, than we had been, I think really, that's really what catalyzed that for me.
0: Got it. Good. Hey, look, you got to have good mentors in the space and, and, having people who help you see that is is important. And you know what, like it takes a while to build enough relationships too, where you feel like you've got, you know, you've got a, a set of clients who need you, right. And, and, you know, you're starting to let them down if you take on too much. So I think, you know, that doesn't happen overnight for anybody in this space. Cool. So, you know, kind of continuing on the, the storytelling angle here, you know, I'm curious to know what's changed since you started working in insurance. And I know you've been you know, more than just when you started seven years ago, but your whole, your whole life has been kind of related to insurance. So what's changed and what do you think still needs to change?
1: That's a good question. I think what, what has changed from the agent's perspective is that our clients' businesses are becoming more complex. There's just, I think the barriers to starting businesses has gotten so much lower Yep. So, this, I mean, the things that I hear people doing, it's not just like your typical things from 30 or 40 years ago. And with, with technology and with access to capital, like there's just, it's, there's so many creative things going on, but insurance companies are becoming less creative in their underwriting. Mm. So there's a, a disconnect there where our clients come to us and they say, Hey, I'm starting this business and I need insurance. And then we go out to the insurance marketplace to our partners and say, hey, we need insurance coverage for this business. And it doesn't fit in their little box that they have. And that box that they have is getting tighter and the the thicker, you know, so it's getting stronger. And it's all based on analytics, predictive analytics, predictive modeling, and the underwriters, you know, that used to be people that would look at risks and, and help price risks and really be thoughtful and creative. Those people, those like classic old school underwriters are disappearing. I mean, they're, they're retiring. They're not just like, you know, disappearing (laughs) magically or, or yeah. So, so the underwriters now are much different the way that they handle things, what their responsibilities are, what the expectations of them are. So it's, it's definitely very challenging that balance with our clients, their expectations of how easy it should be to place their business. And then the insurance companies of, of how, how tight their boxes of what they can do and can't do.
0: Yeah, we went through a, an accelerator program last year called Broker Tech Ventures. A lot of people know that. There's a company going through that program this year called Relativity Six, and their whole focus is around helping categorize businesses, right? Insurance is often based on class codes. What type of business are you and therefore, you know, and what type of risk do you have? And so that's how they figure out how to put you in their underwriting box. But to your point, you know, just a pizza shop anymore. They might be a pizza shop. And sell merchandise and then they've got an online delivery business and then you know the guy the entrepreneurs the guy who started the shop is getting really creative so he runs under the same company structure is running you know something else out of the back of his office and all of a sudden how do you how do you underwrite that or how do you yeah how do you underwrite that business and how do you get insurance for it it gets i could see why that gets more and more complicated and we actually had another company on the podcast called assurely who' who's specifically focused on spinning up new insurance products based on kind of scenarios like this. I mean, I realize you can't underwrite every single unique situation, but if you can start to find patterns of companies doing similar things that, that can't get coverage, then there's opportunity there. And, and that's where some of the digital MGAs and, and kind of new players in the space have opportunity and hopefully they'll find good carriers to back them in the long run. So interesting. What else? So what's changed is that people or companies are, are not as simple as they used to be. What do you think needs to change? Anything you see in the space that has to go or has, has to come or has to be different?
1: You know, one thing, and, and I always think about this when, when you and I talk, because I think you guys are doing really exciting things from a technology standpoint to help make both the client and the agent's experience better. But there's... I don't know if it's trillions, but there's hundreds of billions of dollars that are going towards insure tech, right? This, yep. this subset of fintech, which is specifically focused on insurance. And what I see is most of these companies are really focused on either like lower end personal insurance, you know, your, your auto stuff, your renter's insurance, uh, like Lemonade is a good example of that, yep. or like your small business insurance and that experience is becoming more seamless and convenient for buyers. Right? There's great websites, great platforms, you can get quotes quickly, you can app, you can download apps to access your, you know, your auto ID card and things like that. But once you get outside of that kind of average personal insurance and small business, yeah. it goes back to 1995. Like we're still sending faxes to each other with, you know, handwritten applications and It's just a very inconvenient process. So more and more now, peers of mine that are in their early 30s are moving into higher level management or executive roles at larger companies that have are spending $100,000, $200,000, $1 million on insurance. And they are baffled by the, the process for securing insurance, for renewing insurance, for just doing all the insurance things. Uh, whereas, yeah. like a small business could do all of those things much more easily because it's more repeatable, and these these tech companies are really focused on heavily on that space.
0: So I'm, I mean, obviously this is the space we live in, right? We breathe in this. I'm a lot of people don't understand if I've got a couple million dollar business, right? And I'm applying for insurance. I don't necessarily want to get a real time quote and buy, right? There's a lot more that that goes into that, but I also don't want to send faxes around and and have to scan documents. What do you think is missing from that journey right? as a buyer? Put yourself in your client's shoes, right? And, you know, yes, Buddha has, we have our smart forms and have the ability to gather data and generate documents, but what but that's becoming a thing, right? Agents are adopting that. What else in that client journey do you think is missing? If you were a buyer, what would you expect to see that maybe you don't have today?
1: I think, well, I mean, one of the things that makes it really complicated is we ask for a lot of information that people don't really understand what we're asking for or why it's not like often a lot of the questions we ask aren't just general things about their business. Like if you ask someone, when was the last time your building's electrical system was updated? Who knows that? Like, I don't know that about my house. I don't know it about the building that I'm sitting in right now. So it's not only like the format in which we ask for it, but the information that we ask for is very challenging. So I think there's drones flying overhead all the time, collecting information about buildings and things like that. Like, I think the more centralized some of those information and data points can be possibly the easier it is because the insurance companies need that. Right. right. Our clients try to say, like, why do you need that? And it's well, they're trying to assess the risk of a fire. And they have very sophisticated models that help them do that based on how old the roof is and when the electrical system and heating system were last updated and all that. But our clients don't really care about that, right? They just <laughs> want to like get to the end point as quickly and painlessly as possible.
0: Yep. Yeah. I was thinking, you know, it came to mind is just better collaboration tools, right? If you're in a building and you need to send, you need to send that question to somebody else, right? Like the process of the, the data gathering exercise, some questions you know, are about the business, but some questions are about, you know, the property and, and you don't necessarily have all the answers as the, as the business owner or the person managing the insurance. So, you know, really landing that collaboration process, not just between you, you Jeremy and your, your client, but between the client and the other stakeholders that they have in their business feels like, you know, we're just, we're just at the, at the tip of the spear on that with some of the tools that are out there. So interesting. Yeah. I mean, the, mean, the other thing that comes to mind is really just kind of information management, process management, right? Workflow management, whereas, you know, okay, I need to know, we're getting ready to go through my insurance renewal. Like what happens first? What happens second? What are you doing now that I've given you information? Who are you working with? Just an overall timeline and status, I think could be an interesting value add for the, for the insured. Right. It's like, okay, well, I sent you all my stuff. Now what? I haven't heard from you in a week. I haven't heard from you in two weeks. Like what? Are, I'm sure you're working on it, but I don't know what's going on. So interesting. I don't know. This is good good uh, product riffing opportunities here. So,
1: yeah. And then I think that's a great point because it's, it's not just something that's unique to insurance, right? In general, when you're working with someone else and you're waiting on information, there's just generally in our economy, a lack of updating.
0: Yeah. Transparency, and, right. You yeah. like, What's happening? Are you, are you doing anything or not? I know I'm paying you a lot of money for this, so I hope you're doing something
1: <laughs> right. And even if I don't have an answer now, just tell me that you're working on it. Like you yep. just want that peace of mind, but there's no right now. How does that happen? Well, I have to remember to send someone an email or call them or text them to say, Hey, we're still working on this. Right. And then I'm setting reminders to remind them it's, I mean, it's, you know, it's, it can, <laughs> it's pretty inefficient, but it's important because I know as a consumer of things like when I'm working with a I was just like an a, my estate a attorney dealing with the, our wills after our son was born, it's like yep. you know I haven't heard from you in a four weeks, like does this take <laughs> that long or you know what's going on here? Did you forget about it like just let me know
0: yeah. yeah 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 silence is silence is tough, so interesting well look, we started talking about change a little bit you guys have. I think the industry is going through a lot of change with the amount of consolidation happening. You guys just went through a pretty significant event here. Can you tell us a little bit about what happened with the company and, and what uh, tell us about the new setup?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So we were an independent insurance agent owned by the Bordens and the Perlmans for over a hundred years. And we were not looking to make any real, any significant changes in terms of how we are structured, but you know the right partner came along at the right time, which is CBiz. So they're a national financial services company. They're one of the top 10 accounting firms in the country, but they have a growing insurance division and they really gave us the opportunity to partner with them and draw on their significant resources, but continue to operate pretty independently. I mean, yes, of course, they, they have expectations of us. There are metrics that we need to meet, but our you know, an account manager in our office or sort of a standard employee has seen very little change in what they do and how they do it on a daily basis. Yes. They, they are, their paycheck comes from a different company. They have different health insurance, but day to day, you know, their manager is the same, the way that we do business is the same. And that was very exciting for us because that wasn't something that we were willing to, to change.
0: Got it. And, what, about your, what about your clients? Cause I think one of the things that I, I always wonder about in the space is, you know, this is great. Yeah, you know, in in many ways, the consolidation is good for you know the acquiring company and for the company being acquired. What does it mean for your clients? Is it, is, does it make life better? Make it worse? What's the, what happens at the end of the day?
1: I think it doesn't make it worse. I think okay. for the most part, it it most of our clients, other than the fact that our logo in our email is different now, like they probably don't really see much change at all. As an advantage, though, so Cbiz is their property and casualty business is several times the size of what Borden and Pearlman was before we joined them. So we now have access to more insurance companies than we had before. We have mm-hmm. more leverage with those insurance companies. For example, travelers can use that. We did a num- certain amount of premium with travelers. CBiz does six or seven times that amount of premium. So, you know, we're now part of a, a we have more buying power, more leverage in the marketplace than we did before. But at the same time, CBiz, like for ex- a lot of agents sell to a, a private equity firm, they sell to a publicly traded insurance broker, right. and their model is based on cutting expenses by 30, 40% to make the numbers work, to make that acquisition price work. CBiz does not operate that way. So we haven't had to reduce our service team at all. Okay. So our, you know, typically if you, if of a, if a a company or an agent sells to a publicly traded broker, the number of service staff is going to be reduced. So that's where you'd say, okay, this isn't good for the client because there's fewer people to help them now. But we don't have to do that at all. And that was another thing that was critical to us in going through this this process with CBiz is like, you know, we want this to benefit our clients. And now, for example, like CBiz is a an accounting firm. So they their IT systems, their IT security is so strong because of the sensitivity of information that they deal with that now our clients benefit from that. And and we handle a lot of sensitive information as well. But for us to go and invest millions of dollars in IT security as a, a company doing fifteen million in revenue, it's like it's not possible. We just don't can't make the numbers work to do that.
0: So there, I mean, there's definitely there's definitely some wins there, it sounds like, and it sounds like this was a a good, you know, doesn't fall into that classic category where there may be a client impact from a service perspective. So I'm, I'm, I'm happy to hear that. Sp- speaking of, speaking of clients and and you know the benefits they get, uh, I love hearing stories on this podcast about how agents have have been helpful for clients, and always like to tie it back to what we do. So uh, enlightenment uh, is defined as the state of having knowledge or understanding. And this podcast for me when i started it was all about finding enlightened agents who really make a difference for their clients so we talked before the show about pretty awesome pandemic related thing that you guys did for one of your clients uh where you were able to have an impact is that something you know can you tell our listeners about that here
1: yeah absolutely so we have a lot of clients that are driving schools uh, as well as some s- large school bus contractors and uh, as you can imagine when covid started and everything was shut down they had no business they really went from you know uh, bustling companies that they'd built over many years to doing almost zero in revenue <laughs> basically overnight so they have this each of them has a fleet of vehicles 40 50 100 vehicles that used to be their revenue generator, but now that is like this this cash vacuum because of all the expenses that are associated with each vehicle. You've got maintenance, you have insurance costs, you have the financing costs. So what we were able to do is work with our insurance companies on on some of these these larger accounts that have these huge fleets to do what's called a a layup uh, endorsement where they're basically suspending the insurance for an agreed upon period of time and not requiring that our clients pay premiums for that period 30 60 90 days.
0: Right.
1: Typically if if a client wants to stop paying premium on a vehicle they have to sell it or you know or or, or forfeit it or, <laughs> or cancel the policy which then you know then becomes a whole other problem if you sure. because you have to cancel the policy for every vehicle. Oh. So this this gave them a lot of flexibility and so, of course, the insurance company required, you know, they took, had to take off the license plates. They had to lock the keys in a drawer. They had to put a sign on the steering wheel of every vehicle that said not in use and then provide pictures of every vehicle showing this. But it saved our clients, I think, some of them probably from going out of business because they didn't really have options to get. They couldn't. There was no demand for the vehicles. So to sell them would be impossible. Right. And it was ai would never heard of a layup endorsement until March twenty second or something of last year. And then it became a, a huge thing that we were trying to help our clients with.
0: Did somebody in the company say, Hey, there's, I have this idea. Did the insurance company, did your clients call you and say, Hey, can I stop paying? Like, how did you come about this?
1: I think it started with questions from our clients of if, if there's anything that, that we can do or from one or two, it started. And then we started looking into what exists out there where you can do this. And I think internally we had identified a layup endorsement or someone in the company had used them in the past. And then we right. basically approached the insurance companies and said, Hey, will you do this? And some of them said, no, it wasn't like oh, across the board that they were willing to do this. And some of them were only willing to do it for a certain period of time. But, you know, yeah. companies, insurance companies, it's not easy for them to just say, sure, we'll forfeit premium that we've budgeted for, for the next three or six months. But- right. We did find a lot of partnership from our insurance companies with clients through COVID, trying to help them as best they could.
0: That's good. I, I know there were some carriers who were really looking for opportunities to make an impact. If I remember correctly, I think travelers paid commissions in advance, I think, to brokers for upcoming, you know, renewals. It was a huge sum of money. And I know a lot of the the tier one carriers were were kind of, you know, breaking their backs to try to find solutions. So I'm glad to hear that a lot of your partners were helpful I'm I'm bummed to hear that some of them weren't, but you know, I think that's, everybody's going to make a business decision when the time is right. Good of you guys to to figure that out. Right. We were all scrambling for stuff to do last, last April, May. It was, it was a unique time. So.
1: Yeah. And it absolutely. And it, it wasn't, you know, that, that was a, a big example because it, it went from them paying a hundred percent of their premiums to maybe close to zero percent of their premiums for a period of time. Right. But and then also across the board with our clients, trying to work with them to figure out, okay, what changes can we make to your insurance program during this period of time to reduce the impact on you from a cash flow standpoint? Whether it was delaying payments, or if it was, okay, if we thought we were going to do thirty million in sales, but now we're going to do ten million, let's sure, make that change now. now. Yep. yep, and see what that savings would be. And and again, insurance companies were worked with us on that on a spectrum. Some were super supportive other ones it was like pulling teeth but but you know we um i think we got there for most of our clients and really helped them
0: awesome jeremy this has been a, dare i say an enlightening conversation
1: <laughs> i hope so i hope so i'm i'm glad i i um it was fun i i like doing this i told my wife i did one podcast and then i said i think i like this podcast i think i would want to continue with it so
0: i think uh, i can do it yeah i i help uh, my wife with uh, a school event, you know, during the pandemic, and I provided the commentary, the color commentary for a, a pop quiz, and she's like, "Hey, you, you got you got kind of a knack for this. You should you should keep going." And so I was like, "You know what? This isn't that hard. We just get on get on the get on Zoom calls to have a honest, fun conversation about things that people care about." And next thing you know, we have a podcast. So it's been really fun. I've enjoyed having you on the show. Before we wrap up here, is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners?
1: Nothing too much. I I just appreciate everyone's attention and time spent listening to this. If you've made it this far, uh, you know that's great. I hope it was interesting, and I really just respect what Broker Boot is doing in the space because, like I said, a lot of attention is being being put on on small business insurance, on kind of that lower end commoditized personal insurance. But what you guys are doing, it really um, you know, it spans all sizes of companies, all sizes of brokers. So I, I think that's that's really important because, you know, there's and there's a lot of improvement that that we can make, but we, we need tech people to help us with it. You know, we're insurance people are not very good at technology as much as we try. So, yeah, thank you to the listeners and, and thank you to Jason and your team for all that you're doing.
0: My pleasure. Appreciate the shout out. And uh, thanks for thanks for being on the show.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Namaste.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Namaste. All
1: right. All right.